brother and his wife are down with us, uh, Roger and Barbara. You can see them sitting next to my, my mother up here. There they are waving to you. And, and he came with the plan, and I came ready to do whatever he told me to do. And, and uh, so we, uh, we have been putting concrete underneath our shutter. We pulled the shutters off and, and put this, uh, actually cement is the, the proper term, quick dry cement. And we had these uh, frame set up and we built all this stuff and it was just it was a sight to behold really 
Yeah, uh, it was great. So we got these things on there and pulled a few of the shutters off. Uh, I mean, uh, actually put a, a, two of the shutters back up. It was just looking pretty. So last night, got home and said to Jen, hey, you know, we should go and show you the work that we've completed because we were feeling pretty proud about it. And so, uh, so my mother tagged along, and then before you know it, it was a family fair. Everybody was just going out front, and we walked out to look at these shutters. And wasn't there a bird sitting on the very top of the thing? So the battle is not finished, all right? Um, I should say the war isn't finished. We might have lost that battle, but we're going to keep fighting. Thanks for asking in the back. It's, it's great, yes, because it has been a spiritual battle as well. Anyway, it, it is so great to, uh, to be with you. It's great to, to share part three of a sermon series that Pastor DJ had started. For those of you that have uh, maybe been traveling this summer, Pastor DJ is uh, on vacation. He had the opportunity to go, go home and visit some family in South Korea. And so we're excited to welcome him back next week. But he, he shared two weeks ago and started the uh, sermon series on rich church, poor church. And wanted to say, before I went any further, when we hear rich, when we hear that term, there's just certain things that, that come into our mind. And I don't know what comes into your mind, but I know one of the things that people might think about is, is this guy who is... Elon Musk, believed to be the most wealthy person in the world, so maybe you think about a person like Elon Musk, or maybe you think about someone like Tiger Woods, or this next picture that uh, has Michael Jordan and LeBron James. Now you might wonder, why did I choose those three athletes? And that's because those are the first three athletes to become billionaires. The first one was Michael Jordan, and the other two, Tiger Woods and LeBron James, more recently became billionaires. So when some people think of rich, they might think of people that have great wealth like that. There's probably only two people in this entire sanctuary that know who this guy is. Uh, one of them is, I believe, my son, and the other one is, is James up in the booth. And that's, got, that's because this man's name is Jimmy Donaldson. Now that name still probably doesn't mean anything to you, so I'll let you know what his nickname is. His name is Mr. Beast. Now you still probably don't know what that means. But this guy is the most popular YouTuber in the world. He has 100 million followers on YouTube and that means that his annual income is 54 million dollars. This guy sneezes on the internet and he gets tens of hundreds of thousands of people that like it. And so for us, we're sitting here and we, do, we might not even know who he is, but there is a world out there, a generation, that follows everything that he says. So these are people that, as we look at them in one, one way or another, it would appear that they're rich. It would appear that they're rich. 
But if you were listening to what Pastor DJ said two weeks ago, you'll remember that he talked about a rich church being more about a vision that that church follows. And then last week, you had the opportunity to hear, hear Merv Whitmer share about how us being rich toward God is a certain number of steps that you can take to be there. And this was all unfolding information that is in the book, Rich Church, Poor Church, that we've been following. And so today, I get to be the cleanup man. You know, Pastor DJ and, and Merv, they, they pitched the first eight innings, and now I come in in the ninth inning, and, and we'll see if I can do better than what the Phillies have been doing recently. Uh, but uh, but the, the phrase I want to emphasize as we go into the text today, you see it up on the screen, it's, uh, it's a sentence directly from the book that we've been studying. So you look up on the screen, we are in the business not to balance budgets, but to change lives, do ministry, and make disciples. That is the heartbeat of the church. The heartbeat, yes. Budgets do need to balance. But that's not our sole purpose. Our sole purpose is to make disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. So, read through Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Uh, really going to be looking at a little bit more than that, but did not want people to stand for eternity as I was reading Scripture. But, uh, but as, we, as we look at that passage of Scripture, there's a verse that just absolutely jumps off the page. And that's Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that says, Salvation is found in no one else. Salvation's found in no one else. And it's, it's not like there's just this one verse of Scripture that says that in the midst of the Bible. Because you can go to John chapter 14, verse 6, that says, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Or you could go to John chapter 3, verses 17. Did anyone know that there's actually a John chapter 3, verse 17? You know, we, we quote John 3, 16, and we know that one by heart, and then we usually fall off a cliff. You know, uh, but John 3, 16, of course, talks about salvation through Jesus Christ. But then verse 17 is, is equally as powerful. Because that verse says that God sent his son not into the world to, not to condemn the world, but so that the world could be saved through him. And you see the evidence is just stacking up, that there's verse after verse that point to Jesus as the way of salvation. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's just across the pages of Scripture. And some people might say, oh, well, well, what about in the Old Testament? Well, because Jesus hadn't become a man and walked the earth yet, 
And so, how does that point to salvation? Well, all you have to do is follow the lives of the Israelites, which the Old Testament just paints this picture of them and shows that they were a bunch of utter mess-ups. Utter mess-ups! And it gives me hope because I'm a mess-up. We aren't expected to be these perfect people. In fact, it's the contrary to that. We are expected to fail repeatedly time and time again, not getting through one day. You know, John Wesley, every 15 minutes, it's said that he used to, he used to on the watch, say, how did I do the last 15 minutes? Man, if any of you think that you're a little OCD, you know, a little, a little over the top. Now, I confess, I walk into a room, if the picture's crooked, it's got to be straightened. It just has to be. You know, and I, I think God is praised when I straighten that picture. Yeah, that's a joke. Anyway, but, uh, uh, but, but, uh, yeah. So salvation's found in no one else. No one else. And so we read through this passage of Scripture today in the midst of a, of a sermon series where we're looking at rich church, poor church, and you might be thinking, well, why am I talking about all this salvation in Jesus? This is what makes us rich. This is what gives us a treasure that, especially the Sermon on the Mount, points to the idea of that it's, it's a treasure that no one can steal. No one can take away. Yeah, moths can come in. Rust can come in. Birds can come in. <laughs> but, but nobody can take that away. And it's awesome. And that's what we as a church are about. We're about sharing that message with people so they can be drawn to that life-saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as well. So, uh, I want to give a little bit of additional background in the midst of this passage. And it's hard to do this in a strict flow of points, but what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give a little bit of extra background. I'm going to explain two points that come out of this, and then I'm going to give us three applications. Some, uh, of those three applications at the end, you know, I don't expect all three of them to relate to all of us, but I'm hoping that just one of them that God could use to encourage you or make you go, yep, that one. I'm going to take a step with, with that one. But first, a little bit of background. So I read in, in Acts 4, verse 1, it says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking. Well, first of all, the Sadducees were, were this group of priests that were different than the Pharisees. And if you go and you try to study the background on these guys, good luck. Because you can't find their true origin. All there are right now are a bunch of different ideas. There's camps out there saying, I believe that they came from this, or this person says, I believe they came from this. So, so there's some general ideas, but the main point is that there's basically two camps of priests out there. You've got the Sadducees, and you've got the Pharisees. The Sadducees, they were... They were kind of aristocrats. They were kind of like, like seen as a little bit of a higher class. And yet they were usually farm owners. So they were a little bit more, 
uh, agrarian in terms of, uh, you know, farming and, and, and working with their land, and yet they had this position. So right here off the beginning of this chapter, where it says priest, captain of the temple guard, Sadducees, it's basically trying to say, here's this group of leaders. And later on in this chapter, it points to them again. And, and there's an important reason. And if you read this quickly, you can easily miss it. Because in verse 2, it says, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. That was one of the things that differentiated the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Now, again, you might wonder, well, well why is that a big deal? Why, why is that detail important? That detail is important because later on, in verse 10, Peter is addressing them. And he says, It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. I just had the opportunity to be down in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Last weekend, I was speaking at a conference. And... Uh, Following the conference, it was only two hours' drive to our son, Ben, down in Huntsville, Alabama. So, of course, I took the opportunity to drive down there and see him. Well, I drove down, and we went into this mall, and everywhere that you looked, everything was Alabama. Roll, tide, roll. And I thought to myself, what would happen if I yelled at the top of my lungs, We are! <laughs> Penn State! I think I would have been tarred and feathered. In this situation, Peter and John are standing in front of the people that crucified Jesus. This is the same crowd. It's the same group of leaders. These people heard what Jesus said, and they said, we're taking him out. Peter, in front of these same people, says something that was basically sticking the knife in and turning it. It's like, oh yeah, and by the way, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. So that's a huge piece in the midst of this that shows the courage that Peter had. Another thing I wanted to point out in the midst of this passage was at the end of verse 4. It says, But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Now, the word for men there in Greek is actually males. So this isn't some word that should have been translated males and females, but what it's pointing out is that there were 5,000 men that have come to know Christ. In addition to that, there could have been, and it's a guess, but there could have been just as many females. So this number was growing like crazy. But what's interesting with this number is when you're studying the Bible, when you're reading the Bible on your own, and there's some little fact that just jumps out at you and hits you in the face that you're like, 
Well, that's crazy. Why they bother mentioning 5,000? What, what, what's that mean? Well, things don't happen just by random chance in Scripture. They're there for a reason. And here, you need to study the context. And so if you go back to when the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, you'll learn that Peter is speaking and he's preaching. Pentecost happens. The church is formed and it says 3,000 people came to know Christ. So what's going on is these temple leaders, they're doing everything they can to shut down Peter, to shut down John. And so they, they take him and they put him in prison. And the point that is being made in this chapter of Acts is that nothing could stand in the way of the gospel message spreading. Because in just a short period of time, it went from 3,000, which could have been much more, to 5,000. It's growing even while these guys are sitting in prison. And that is the, that is the gospel. That's an immovable force as it's lived out through us, as we speak it out. It is going to return incredible things for God and his glory. So, having said that, I promised you two points that would pull out of this material. And the, uh, the first point up on your screen, it says, determine whose power you live by. Determine whose power you live by. Because these leaders, they said to Peter and John, by what power or what name did you do this? And so I say that to you, and I say it to myself this morning. By what power are you living your life? I have the opportunity to serve with a ministry called Christian Endeavor. We have the Christian Endeavor Pledge, and the very first line, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for strength. As I live each day, who am I going to trust for strength? Am I going to use my own strength? Or am I going to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for strength? In this passage, we see the example of Peter and John clearly standing upon the Lord's strength. Recently, went to see the movie Top Gun Maverick. Now, whether or not you're, you're a fan of the first Top Gun movie, the second Top Gun movie, I will say it was, it was pretty exciting. Whether you're a Tom Cruise fan or not, it was a, a pretty exciting movie. But what's interesting, as, as we nestled into our seats at, uh, over at Penn Cinema, my daughter Kendra was sitting right next to me. Have you ever played Name That Tune? You know, and someone says, oh, I can name that tune in two notes. Well, usually in two notes, I can't name anything, all right? But there's one particular song that if I hear two notes, I can name that tune. We're sitting there in our, in our seats, and I hear, da-dun. And I was like, nope, I'm out, because that was the theme song of Jaws. That was about to begin, all right? And I had no need to be watching that on the screen. So I was like, nope, I'm out. Now, I usually like watching the trailers or the previews, 
And so I'm thinking, well, that one's done. Maybe the next one will be fun. So the next one comes on, and, and there's a, a black family in a, in a Jeep, kind of looks like they're going through the safari, and the music's playing, and I think it was like, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. And I'm starting to move in my seat. I'm having a good time. Yeah, I like this kind of music. This is great. And then all of a sudden, the music changes to, Ta-da! and I'm like, oh, what's going on? And, and next thing you know, it's like this, this lion the size of a, elephant comes out of somewhere and is like ready to and and I turned to Kendra I was like nope I'm out because I had no need to be looking at that now the reason I bring this up is not to talk about our movie preferences but to say when we face the tough stuff in life when we look at a challenge that we have the opportunity to to maybe embrace is our attitude to go in, or is our attitude to say, nope, I'm out. We look at Peter and John, and these two were two guys that were in. They were in. And as followers of Jesus Christ, as those that understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are ones that are supposed to take a step and say that we're in. The second idea is believe. Believe that he can work through you. Believe he can work through you. Now, I know this is a verse I had alluded to earlier this year in a message, but, uh, but I want to mention it again. This, this idea connects with the fact that it says that Peter and John were unschooled ordinary men. And that made the people astonished. Astonished. They were absolutely blown away because these two common ordinary people were able to do extraordinary things. Now, I could do an entire sermon series where we would just go through the Bible and we would pick out ordinary people that no one would have ever picked for their team that God used to do extraordinary things. It is how he works. It is his, his normal way of functioning. So if any of us ever face life in a day and feel defeated, and we go, huh, I'm beat down, I'm knocked down, I, you know, I'm, I'm persecuted, I'm abandoned, then... You are exactly the kind of person that God uses exactly in that kind of situation. And that's what happens here. First, determine whose power you're going to live by each day. And then recognize that God can work through you. He can work through me. Ordinary people. Yeah, our, our IQ, it's, it's average. Our emotional quotient that's, that's average. Our income, probably average. You know, you go across the board and say, guess what? There's nothing wrong with being average. We are the people that God made us. And to him, we are extraordinary. Even as we look in the mirror and we go, oh, it's you. <laughs> Still, to God, we are amazing. 
and he works in and through us. Now, I promised us some applications, so we're going to dive into this quickly. The, uh, the first application point is don't wait. If there is something that the Lord's laid on your heart, then today is the day. Take a step forward today. I, I have to say, uh, uh, Jen and I have a niece, and uh, actually we have two nieces with the name Hannah, but the, uh, this is the, uh, the one Hannah that is currently studying abroad in Uganda. And God bless her heart as she was going through this, this time and trying to adjust to that culture. And in the middle of the night, if she wakes up, she can go to the bathroom. She just needs to pee in a bucket. And, you know, much different than what we deal with here. And that can be challenging, you know, when you're in the midst of a different setting like that. But she's embracing it. You know, she has that challenge. You know, I, I uh, was coming in for for a funeral that was here on Tuesday, and I saw Lori Snyder in the parking lot. Now, many of you have met her over the years, and Lori was telling me that she's working on having her first song produced. It's a dream of hers that she's had for a long time. She can honor the Lord through her music. You know, she's taking the step. Don't wait and take that practical step. Now. Now, that practical step in the midst of this rich church, poor church idea, okay, there's a a number of things that a practical step could look like. It could be stepping out, doing something to, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in some way through your life. It could be saying, you know what, I listened to what Merv was teaching about last last week, and you know, I'm giving I'm giving this percent. Uh, of money to God's work. And you know what? I, maybe I can't quite get to that 10% that Merv was talking about, but, but maybe I can just do a half percent more. Or maybe I, can, maybe I can do a percent more. Or maybe I haven't started giving at all yet. And maybe it's just that initial gift. You know, that whole uh, Sir Isaac Newton's law of motion, so true. A body of motion is going to stay at motion. A body that's not, is not going to move unless there's some kind of external force. Well, I am that external force today. And so if the Holy Spirit can use me to give you a little bit of a kick and it helps you move just, just a little bit, to just get started. Just get started. Take a practical step. Another practical step idea might be uh, maybe you have grandkids, maybe you have grandnieces, grandnephews, maybe you have kids of your own at a certain age, and you're just like, how do I get them started understanding the idea of, of giving? Because really, starting early is the key. And if you haven't seen one of these guys, uh, I just encourage you to find them. We used to, uh, years ago, give children in the church here, we would give them a three-chamber bank. And I used to say when I saw that, I'm like, man, there should be a fourth chamber. You know, there's a chamber to give money to God and his work. There was a money, uh, there's a, a chamber for savings, and there was a chamber for your regular spending. And I was like, well, there's two kinds of savings. There's long-term savings, and then there's, there's saving up for something. Well, lo and behold, somebody came out with this thing, and I should have jumped on it and tried to patent it back in the day. But, uh, but anyway, so somebody came out with this, and it's wild. So the, the chamber that's 
pointed or is the most towards the top is donate. So first thing you do is you give money to, to charity. You know, give money to God's work as we teach in the church. And then the next highest is, is uh, the investing at, at the back. And then the third chamber, you come to the front and some savings for that shorter term. And then spending. Maybe it's just getting a tool like this and putting it in the hands of the young ones that you love so they begin to learn these important principles while they're young. Final application point is to do an attitude check. And we all need to do this sometimes. And so in this closing idea, I just want to say, if someone comes up to you and says, I have a ticket, or maybe it's two tickets, and you have the opportunity to go to whatever it is that you would want to go to, your, your most favorite thing that you could attend in, in the world, on the planet. Zach, you could go see Man United play in Old Trafford, and you could go to England, and someone is flashing two tickets in front of your face. Everybody, whatever that was. What is the difference in your reaction and attitude if someone came and they offered that or they came and offered you an opportunity to financially or from a time perspective invest in a certain project? Just just stop. And this this isn't Dave bringing a guilt trip. This is Dave saying, there's a time that that happened to me and I went, yeah, you know, I should be so excited to embrace the opportunity to invest time or money in the things God is doing. I'd seen a a guy one time, this goes way, way, way back, and the guy had literally, he had literally bought a vehicle that in today's dollars probably would have been about 70 grand and bought it on a whim. And we were, we were talking about uh, the ministry that I, I was serving and, and making a donation. And this isn't trying to throw stones at him. This is, this is, after that conversation, me doing a heart check and seeing similar things in my own life. But I got asked about 15 vision questions to make sure that the vision was in alignment and total scrutiny of, of everything that was going on with the ministry. And at the end of that, a donation of $100 was made. Now again, not criticizing that guy because I went back and I looked at my own life and I was like, man, how often do I do that? How often do I have an open hand with anything that I love and I want to do, but can have too critical of a hand towards the things of God? And really, attitude check for me, for all of us, let's have that open hand. Open hand and allow God to bring the blessing. May God encourage us, challenge us as we go deeper into the understanding of his word. Amen.